Osinski's Inner Circle. I'm Bobby Osinski, and this is a show all about music, music production, and the music business. My guest today is co-founder and CEO of the music discovery app Hot Drop, Max Goldberg. First of all, vinyl album sales set a record on Christmas week. It's actually a modern day record. There were 2.2 million records sold that week, and it's the largest one since 1991 when electronic tracking began. This is actually the second time the vinyl albums exceeded the 2 million mark. The top-selling album of the week was Taylor Swift's Midnight's, which sold 68,000 copies. Now, the interesting thing is this was available in four different vinyl variants, and they're all colored something different, including one that was just exclusive to Target. Midnight's was also the top-selling album of the year at 575,000. So, year-to-date, the vinyl album sales stand at just about 42 million, which is up about 4% from the same time last year. Interesting thing is we look at the top 10 selling vinyl albums of last year. Number one is Taylor Swift with Midnight's. Number two is Harry Styles with Harry's House. Number three is Adele with 30. Number four, Olivia Rodrigo with Sour. Number five, Taylor Swift again with Red, her own version. Number six is Kendrick Lamar with Good Kid. Number seven, Fleetwood Mac Rumors. Number eight, Abbey Road, The Beatles. Number nine, Tyler, The Creator with Call Me If You Get Lost. And number 10 is Billie Eilish with Happier Than Ever. The interesting thing here is that only two classic albums were in the top 10 last year, which is a complete turnaround from previous years when we'd have pretty much eight out of 10 that were classic albums and only two that were new. Now we've flipped around So it looks like we're finally seeing the landscape of vinyl records changing over to newer music instead of relying on the old. If you have any comments or questions, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. Also, I'm pleased to announce that the fifth edition of my Mixing Engineer's Handbook is now available. It's totally updated and includes new sections on mixing and immersive audio, self-mastering, new mixer interviews, and much more. Get your copy at a special discounted price at bobbyosinski.com forward slash handbook. That's bobbyosinski.com forward slash handbook. You can also find it on Amazon and Apple Books. And remember, you can learn all about the latest in music, audio, and production news when you sign up for my newsletter at bobbyosinski.com. There you'll also find out about openings for my latest online classes and special events. That's bobbyosinski.com. Now, here's something that shouldn't be a surprise, but it still is. Musical instrument distribution is expanding to big box stores like Walmart and Target and Costco and Best Buy. The reason why is musical instrument manufacturers have lots of inventory. This came from COVID. The years of COVID increased the demand for musical instruments of all type. And because of supply chain issues, it took a while to catch up. By the time those orders caught up, well, everybody was kind of back to work and back to normal. And the manufacturers were left with a ton of product with nowhere to sell it. So they went to these big box retailers. Of course, MI retailers are really outraged at this. But just keep in mind, this happened before, back in 1999. What happened back then is that guitars experienced a whole brand new surge of sales. 
And as a result, these big box retailers wanted in. This only lasted for about a year because while you had the Walmarts and the Targets and Costcos and Best Buys suddenly selling guitars and amplifiers and electronic keyboards, there was also the customer service issues, which they didn't expect, with newbie players coming back to the store and saying, what's wrong with this guitar? The string broke. As I said, that lasted for about a year. And then finally they decided they can make more money with other things rather than having all that floor space to musical instruments. But that's back again, and it's because of the huge amount of inventory that these manufacturers have. It's also because there's been a double-digit decline in MI retailers. So the thought is, if people are willing to buy a musical instrument online, then buying from a big box store isn't all that much different. In the end, this isn't good for your local guitar store, but you can't blame a manufacturer that's sitting on a mountain of product either. My guest this week is Max Goldberg, who's a co-founder and CEO of the music discovery app Hotdrop. Hotdrop is a platform that connects undiscovered artists with superfans. Founded by a team of Gen Z music addicts and artists, Hotdrop addresses the current generational shift underway in music discovery and consumption. The service's 30-second snippets enable rapid discovery, and they're easily shared with other music fans, yielding high virility for emerging artists. Hotdrop allows users to swipe through various short-form audio snippets for supplemental links and info provided by the indie artists themselves. Within two days of its initial launch, the Hotdrop app had more than 25,000 downloads and ranked number seven on the App Store. During the interview, we spoke about the problems with music discovery on major music platforms, misconceptions about music on TikTok, how even very short listens can lead to recommendations to friends, the communal listening experience, and much more. I spoke with Max via Zoom from his office. Tell me a little bit about Hot Drop and how it came about, some history. Sure. Um, I am not an artist. I am a music addict, binger, um, whatever you want to call it. Um, In college, music is really it's such an astounding force that it has in people's lives. I know that with a lot of time on my hands and my friend's hands as a student at Indiana, you know, listening to music, finding new songs and artists is something that you do every day, multiple times a day. And as a user of Apple music and a former user of Spotify, I started to get frustrated with the apps in the sense that I wasn't really finding anything new. Wasn't hearing a lot of new music, Loved, you know, the mainstream artists that I've been following for years, but uh, certainly really hard to find that new talent. Uh, and, you know, certainly given that I missed the spot, uh, the sound or the SoundCloud heyday, uh, given that I am a bit younger, you know, hearing tracks occasionally on SoundCloud and falling in love with them. A bunch, my friend and I, Stephen, who, who's my co-founder now in this venture, we, we really started to see like, hey, you know, these communities where new artists and songs were getting discovered existed, but the user experience didn't modernize along with some of the other social media apps, you know, we use on a day-to-day basis. So we wanted to create a really fast and, and social way to discover music that replicated how we were sharing music within our friend groups. Um, so back in September uh, 2021, so just over a year ago, 
Uh, we really created Hot Drop as a side project. Myself as a coder, uh, released it to the store for our friends to use. And then within two days, we were the 11th free music app on the top charts. Um, you know, 25,000 users. We spent nothing um, sharing and really an astounding response from artists. Um, we didn't build the product for artists, but we started to receive hundreds of emails saying, hey, you know, you've built up this Gen Z audience of super fans that I'm really not being able to, you know, find uh, and connect with on, you know, even apps like TikTok. So we've since pivoted the model, uh, which we once relied on Spotify's catalog. We actually have a user generated content model. So artists directly upload their music to us. Um, it's not limited. They can put their music anywhere they want. Uh, and we'll really connect this audience that we built up with art, uh, with these artists that are trying to get discovered. Uh, so it's been an incredible journey. You mentioned before you're a former Spotify user. So <laughs> explain a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, you know, I think the, the, the DSPs and, you know, Apple music and Spotify definitely serve a purpose. You know, they're great for that solo one-on-one -on -one experience. Once you found the music, you know, you're listening in your library, but I wasn't finding anything new on these platforms. It was a lot of the same big names. Uh, I didn't feel that they supported sharing. Uh, and I wasn't feeling that I had a presence of my friends and their recommendations on these platforms. And today on a college campus, your friends are driving almost all the music you're actually discovering uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. So we wanted to create something that actually enabled this discovery experience, something that's fast uh, and also short form, although, I, you know, I know you've spoken uh, quite extensively on, on that topic, um, but a way that we could really easily drive song recommendations and friend groups. I'm curious, is this completely user recommendations or is this an algorithm that will kind of find what you like or what it thinks you like? It, that's a great question. Since the start, we've been anti-algorithm. And I think this idea of an algorithm uh, is definitely taboo at this point, uh, especially in, in the music uh, technology space. But really, I think the algorithm is only as good as the information that's being fed into it. And our algorithms, although we do have one to personalize, personalize a feed, are not anywhere as close to as, as biased for metadata um, and, and previously successful tracks, but much more so focused on what songs are your friends listening to? What's going viral in your area? So having that, that geo-centered, but also social-centric um, mechanism to cue tracks has been something that we're really looking to not only further explore, but it has worked for us so far. Oh, wait a second. You just mentioned something that's interesting. Geocentric. So it's really your immediate friends. Exactly. And what's interesting is when you actually take a look at, you know, certain archetypes of listeners, right? There's really like these almost seven core archetypes that, that listeners have. And uh, this research has been studied at Indiana University and in, in the Jacob School, uh, of which we've worked with some, some pretty uh, stellar professors on the subject. But if you're able to look at friends who are providing you great recommendations, where you have that trust, the rapport and that relationship, right? You can start to almost extrapolate and look out into a universe, maybe on a university, see other listeners or friends of friends that have similar, you know, listening preferences, similar interests, right? And then you can actually start to 
figure out what they're listening to and start to serve recommendations based on their listening behavior. And that might be something that a single user, they might have no connection with that other person. How far out does that go? You're talking about friends of friends, but then there's friends of friends of friends, et cetera. To be honest with you, we don't know yet the limits of of this mechanism of discovery. We're, we're certainly still in our infancy of of exploring how to make this work. Um, but on on a on a basic level, you know, first, second, third degree, uh, first, second, third degrees of freedom uh, certainly yield you know similar acceptance of tracks and recommendations. And, and there's some really interesting research on the note of you know, the social context of music discovery. And it's not surprising, but turns out that, you know, someone's willingness to to like a certain track and then subsequently follow an artist uh, is largely based off that relationship you have with a recommender, right? So if someone's your friend, runs into your dorm room, says, hey, you know, you got to check out this song or artist, chances are you're going to listen to that track. And more often than not, you'll also like it. And that could be a totally different response than if you found that track alone or through, you know, a Spotify or or Apple Music. One of the problems that artists find with TikTok, Spotify, whatever, especially TikTok, if we go there, is that you can have a lot of people that like your track, but don't become fans. And that's the biggest problem where all of a sudden you're top of mind for a second and then gone. That's not what an artist wants for a career. So how do you address that? Totally. Um, That's a great question. Something that, you know, I've considered and think about constantly. I I think it largely stems from how people, especially Gen Z's, which that's really the audience that Hot Drop caters to and and I know best, people aren't using TikTok to find new music. I I think this is a, a common misconception that people like me are actively going out onto TikTok to find new music. We're not. It's a video social media app where I'm bombarded with content from food to, you know, you name it. And I think that it creates an atmosphere where it's really easy to get a viral moment, but then even easier to become irrelevant. So I think to take an element of TikTok that is successful and that it does oftentimes serve as a catalyst for artists and actually getting you know their brand or name out there no matter what the content actually is i I think that the very nature of it not being a music first platform limits artists on tiktok so what we've been looking to do is say how can we replicate this this viral moment creation right this catalyst moment but serve listeners more music from that artist not clutter their experience with videos across, you know, a variety of, of, of content mediums. And how can we encourage a listener when their attention is peaked to go and binge all that artist catalog, make a purchase and interact with the artist as a brand and not just a single piece of content. One of the interesting things, I just read a study about a viral music hit on TikTok. The average length is 19.5 seconds. And I, you know, I just had a conversation before with a very famous songwriter has a lot of hits. And she was saying, that, you know, that's just barely enough to get a chorus together. And that's it. You know, you'll hear the, the hook, you'll hear the best part of the song and nothing else. And you'll kind of lose the meat of the whole thing. But 
your platform is what 30 seconds right yes we'll show you that initial 30 second hook okay so 30 seconds is better in that you can feel more of the song you can get more of a of an insight in what you're listening to have you found that people listen for that entire 30 seconds or they tune out after five seconds sometimes even under that five seconds but i will say that even when you know certain users might have a, I don't know, average listen time of two or three seconds. We've seen that that doesn't deter them from going and sharing that song with their friends. So something that I've really started to try to understand and and want to explore this idea more, uh, this idea of a hook, right? I think that initially in the industry and, and, and before today's, you know, macro trend of short form content and, uh, uh, attention spans that are diminishing ever so rapidly. I think that most artists wanted their songs to be viewed as almost this bottom of funnel where I'm going to do this marketing. I'm going to work so hard ultimately to get someone to listen to my music. But I think we are seeing an inflection point in the industry and TikTok definitely expedited this, this behavioral shift uh, among Gen Z specifically where this hook could be really viewed as the, top of the funnel. And I speak to artists and I don't want, and I don't think it's a benefit to the industry that songs are only listened to and appreciated for, you know, maybe 10 to or 19 seconds, like, like you've mentioned. Right. I, I think that artists can use bits and pieces of their songs that are catchy to get the attention of what could be a super fan and then the question is, what is the follow-up or conversion to get them to go binge the actual song, which is something our platform really looks to do, um, but get them to interact with the artist as a whole and as an influencer. You know, I know you've had you know several people on your podcast, and I found the conversation super interesting. You know, where you're talking about artist brands, but I, I think they couldn't be more spot on that we have to do everything possible given the sheer amount of the volume of tracks being uploaded to get people's attention, even for a split second. The question is what's next. And I don't think a lot of the platforms people are using like a TikTok answer that what's next problem. So if we can get someone's attention, how do we capitalize on that moment and convert them as best as possible to someone who will become a promoter, become a real fan and might subsequently make a purchase? How do you do that? One of our greatest misunderstandings with the current platforms that are out there, and I think one of the greatest disservices to artists, is the fact that they have absolutely no customization over how they're viewed on streaming platforms. So sure, I can upload an image or you know, animated images are, are becoming the new thing, but artists don't really get to highlight their story. They're not connecting with listeners on a personal level. And I think that's partly because of the listener demographics that are exist on these platforms. Most are casual, passive listeners where we've been trying to build an audience of these active listeners with lean in discovery. So it, it, it sure makes that what's next problem uh, a lot uh, you know, more manageable when you have users who want to find out what's next. They want to interact and they want to promote. And of course, that's been a big problem within the industry, passive listening. And yep. the worst part is you have Spotify, which actually encourages that through their 
many of the chill type of playlists where, you know, they just want it on as background music because it benefits the platform, not necessarily the artist. Yeah. And I, in a recent podcast, uh, I believe it was Katie Zakari you had on or Katie Zakardi on, on the show and hearing how limited the listening was from Spotify generated playlists. That doesn't surprise me, right? We knew this. That's why we built a product to escape uh, that method of discovery because people are sharing music constantly, a lot of times off devices, which is super interesting, right? You know, all of friends come to me and share something over text, right? All of friends, you know, come into a dorm room when I was in college and share those, those, you know, really exciting moments when they found that new song and it just, people's face just light up. And, and I'm not surprised that those, you know, those playlists are, are really lacking and not only getting artists discovered, but they're lacking in engagement. So for us, we've really tried to get away from this idea of a playlist in general. The playlist itself is archaic, right? I think not a lot of people are talking about the actual user experience, which is everything for people nowadays. You know, people won't use an app like Facebook. Their numbers are certainly suffering because they didn't innovate the UX, it got more complicated. So really reinventing this idea of a playlist, seeing these macro trends of personalization, but also short form to speed up that process of discovery, create more of those, aha, this song's incredible moments. And then again, how do we translate that moment into more binging of that artist's music or shares to really create that viral effect? One of the interesting things when I was growing up was that it was standard for every college student to have a really good stereo. I mean, really good. And it was easier to do back then because there is, you know, gear all over the place that that you can get. But what would happen is, and this is days of vinyl only, so you would go to a record store and you would actually go through the albums and look at them And the album cover sometimes would be so enticing that you'd buy the record. You didn't know anything about the artist, but you thought, oh, this is pretty cool. So if somebody has that kind of insight to have this kind of cover, then they'll have music that I like, which sometimes worked and sometimes didn't. But when you got home, you put it on and it was a communal experience because you'd play this album and next thing you know, there'd be five people listening to it with you all the way through and getting that feeling. Now, it's a different time today, so that, you know, none of that applies. But in a way, it's the same sense where you're trying to get the same thing. An artist would like that, definitely. And this is what you're trying to, to make happen, only on a more individual basis. Instead of some, somebody listening with four other friends, they're, you know, together to one playback. They're listening on their own, for the most part. Did I get that right? It, it's so interesting to, to hear that anecdote. Uh, although I did not live through the the days of vinyl, although it's definitely seen a reemergence, which is super interesting to see as well. I think that the social experience of listening to music is more than ever live, uh, alive, booming, uh, and taking place on college campuses in, in America and around the world. I mean, I, before college, uh, you know, listening to music alone might have been you know more common um but then going to friends houses sharing the music we discovered you know that was always part of my routine and and really played a a significant role in my life 
then going to college, never really listening to music alone, always listening to music in a social setting, I think just reaffirms how spiritual music is in nature. Um, and with regards to, you know, the anecdote of seeing album art, right, and really having something else, maybe not the track that entices you. Uh, that's something we've heard from our users consistently that an album art caught their eye, right? You're seeing so much. It's very easy to see something that does catch your eye. Uh, and we have users who have shared songs with other users just because the album art's cool um, and allowing them to have the, the, the text or the area to chat with a friend and being, Hey, you know, thought this album art's awesome or this album art's wicked cool. Um, that's definitely still taking place. Now, what I do think has changed is that be given, given the sheer amount of, of songs being uploaded, you know, to streaming ser services every day, you know, a hundred thousand. Now, I, I think that could be well over a quarter million in, in, in a year or two, uh, if not sooner, um, considering the barriers to entry of, of being an artist have, have definitely gone down. Um, I, I do think that um, music discovery has become a multiple times a day uh, activity for 13 to 22 year olds. So for Hot Drop users and, and for me specifically, I'll go on multiple times a day, find new tracks, but then I will go and spend time with my friends, show them what I've discovered, uh, plug into my speaker, although it's not stereo. Um, you know, it, it's just been it, 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 tremendous to see how that on platform experience does translate to just real world hanging out activity. That's good to hear. That's good to hear. I, I was hoping that that would still be the case because you do get away from that after a while. Older you get, it's well documented that by the time you hit 27 or so, your tastes in music are pretty well set. They don't much change. You do continue to seek out new music, but it gets less and less as you get older. And, and of course, it's less of a communal experience at the same time. But it's good to hear that at least on high school, college level, that that's still happening. It, it, it's happening. And, and I can't definitively say that it's happening more than before, but music is, it's so accessible, right? We can listen to any song on demand. We can discover songs, you know, in, in a variety of platforms, right? But really creating that streamlined discovery, right? That community where musical early adopters who are largely Gen Z or younger, right, are going to help support new artists. I think that support and the support of creators is has never it, at, at these levels. It's never uh, been seen before. You know, we, we see a platform like Twitch, right, where gamers had had YouTube, they had Facebook. There were tons of sites and, and startups that you know you don't really hear about where gamers were streaming video games, but. Twitch managed to create that really tight-knit, authentic community where people would go, oftentimes for hours, watch people play video games, and even donate to said uh, gamers that they really supported and who their values aligned with. And as a key tenant of Gen Z and their buying decisions, being aligning of values and wanting to associate with causes, companies, brands that you believe in, I think there's a, a massive amount of untapped potential in connecting these musical early adopters, and I, I wouldn't view them as anything but early adopters, with a talent that's so desperately trying to get hurt. There's so much great music out there, names you've never heard before, 
They just need a platform to get it out. What constitutes a new artist? Yeah, a new artist, there's definitely a spectrum, at least in our experiences. Really, we, or at least artists, self-describe themselves as new, uh, generally based on a certain stream count. So if they have, you know, below a certain amount of streams or, you know, below a certain amount of social media followers, they, they almost disqualify themselves. And, and it's, it's hard to hear or saying, you know, my music must not be good, right? And there's this imposter syndrome that is, that is so prevalent uh, about releasing music. And I think that a new artist might actually have one of the best advantages out there right now, just like a new app, right? It's something fresh. It's something that hasn't really been tapped. You know, not a lot of people are supporting, uh, you know, said artists or said new products. And I think that's exactly what early adopters are looking for. You know, Spotify wrapped had just such success and continues to do so with right highlights. You know, I'm in the 1% of, you know, listeners of Drake or, you know, other artists and people love that. I, they, when Spotify wrapped is released and people share that on their social medias, there's nothing else you see in a college friend group online for days. That's all you see because everyone wants to be on that next artist. Everyone wants to be on who's the next Post Malone, who's the next Billie Eilish. Um, and, and people are actively seeking these stars out just the platforms that exist. It's so, so difficult to actually find those artists. And it's really hard to get that social validation with your friend group. Okay. So you've been doing this for a year now. What artists have you found that have really garnered a lot of attention? Sure. Uh, that's a great question. I have a few artists who, you know, anecdotally and seeing our data um, have certainly started to make a mark um, on our platform, I will say that the upload model where artists can actually release music is fairly new within the past few months. Uh, we've we've changed the platform substantially and and really invested in making a great product experience. Um, but uh, a specific artist that stands out in my mind who is seeing a lot of success on TikTok as well is uh, his name's Don Chi. Uh, he's a hip hop artist with. Um, really unique flair. I'd like to say R&B, but I don't want to speak for him. Uh, and, and really an astounding response just on our platform uh, and off platform for artists like Don Chi. Um, I think that over the next few months, you know, I'd love to, to circle back with some names as we really start to grow and, and have some, you know, clear winners uh, that start to emerge. But ultimately, uh, the times come and go, right? What's good today is, is out tomorrow on a lot of these platforms. So for us, we really want to be there for the artists when they're just starting uh, and support them to that journey, really help them to solidify that audience. So for us, I think we're just getting started. And, um, you know, for the thousands of artists who have submitted music already, uh, we really appreciate that support and we wouldn't be there without them as well. So do you have a cutoff point then for an artist that's been around for a while and comes to you and is that what it is? It's like, oh, you have too many streams. Your social following is too big. How do you determine that? Yeah, I was actually talking with um, a mentor of mine, Dave from Isotope, about this very idea only a week or two ago. We are considering a screening artists that can join the platform. Although the ethos of our company is that every artist should get a fair shot, but certainly focusing on the, the artists that have just been neglected for so long 
right? Over 90% of artists are completely undiscovered on the internet. And we want to focus on helping those folks first, but before the 1% that have generated, you know, over 90% of, of streaming income to date. Yeah, it's funny. I think that what's coming with most platforms is going to be some sort of gatekeeping. And it might be similar to what A&R used to be at a record label in that, this is from an article I just read an hour ago. The thought was, okay, at 100,000 uh, uploads a day, it's already getting to the point where it's no longer sustainable just from you know storage aspect. So it's go going to cost the streaming networks way too much money if this keeps on going considering that most of them aren't generating any of the income. So what I foresee at some point is you're going to have a gatekeeper that's going to say, well, you know, okay, you have these 10 songs, but let's take this one, <laughs> you know, uh, and, and may cherry pick stuff or cherry pick artists. Yeah. And, and, and really who's going to bear the grunt of that? not only the artist, certainly the industry, because the monetization is, is just still not profitable and not there, uh, but the, the consumer, the listener, the super fan, right? They, they pass down the costs in, in subscription fees. And we, we've recently found out that Spotify is passing down more costs coming soon. It's completely unsustainable. And the fact that artists cannot monetize beyond a stream, largely, you know, touring and ticketing, is not really available for, for the little guy or even an artist that does have some traction, but still not yet considered mainstream, right? We have to find how to connect people who want to interact and support artists as brands. Those users do exist, right? They have existed, but the mechanisms are horrible for doing so. So for us, it's really about, you know, focusing on uh, really generating some visibility uh, for this call it artist middle class. And that middle class is neglected everywhere. And they're continuously lied to. They're continuously, I think, robbed of, of exposure and opportunities that would be available to them uh, if, the, if the industry incentives were aligned. And I, I think given the sheer amount of songs that are being uploaded, I can tell you that playlists are not gonna cut it right? A fast discovery experience where at least we could go ahead and say most, if not all songs uploaded to said platform are going to get their fair shot at being listened to. That seems more equitable to me because we're not going to be stopping the hundred thousand uh, and growing number of songs being uploaded, right? That's going to continue to grow. The question is, if we have this high supply, how can we create an experience in an industry where the demand is able to keep up with that supply? Those are some of the tougher questions uh, and more economically focused questions that aren't really being discussed as much, but are really important. Let's talk about Hot Drop, the business for a second. So you put together this app and it has almost instant success and then you have to scale it. So what did you do to scale it? Yeah, that, that's a great question. Really, this has been what I'd like to say our unfair advantage since the start is we are in the weeds. We see how these platforms like TikTok, like YouTube, you know, leverage influencer style growth to help numerous apps, brands, and companies that you know we interact with every day. So for us, 
we've always seen the artist as the most important aspect of our business, right? They create the content, it's art, and they desperately want to find fans who, who will support them uh, and be with them for their journey. So, you know, leveraging influencers on a platform like YouTube and TikTok, you know, asking an artist, hey, why don't you release a song unavailable on a DSP to Hot Drop? Tell your audience that you're going to be releasing this track here and you really need the support, right? This is a different platform. This is about the artist. Come support me here. We've seen a remarkable conversion rate through those type of campaigns and also extraordinarily low, you know, customer acquisition costs. And to be honest with you, the only reason I'm comfortable sharing that here is because the larger companies can't replicate this. Their college programs have, have not worked. Ambassador programs have not worked because they don't get that the discovery is bottom up now. It can't feel top down and it's got to feel young and authentic. So, uh, you know, really being that close to real discovery and knowing what are the things to say, right? How do we highlight an artist beyond just their songs? They're influencers. They have influence and people really follow what they say. How do we tap into that, but not suck the life out of them, control their career, control their music? We don't have any control or anything over artists. And it should be that way. How do you monetize the platform? What has happened as a result of you know this this base this audience we have and I will say we are we are still very early stage uh, but we'll be looking to to rapidly start scaling um, you know throughout the end of this quarter and, and starting next year what we've seen is that our fan base almost becomes A and R reps in themselves they're self selecting they're the market and they're telling the industry and artists this is what we like this is what we don't like so. What once was just this cool way to discover music now is starting to show signs of a more efficient market where when you strip a middleman from that discovery process, right, who's setting the songs that are being heard, what are those incentives and the politics at play, we can see that our audience is actually showing what they like on their own. So there's, you know, several folks at some major labels and, and talent agencies that, that have reached out to me and asking, do you have artists, right? Can you give me some names? So ideally, we think that, you know, there's, there's certainly a, a, a talent acquisition pipeline play that we would only have set up if it benefited the artist. So we wouldn't refer an artist to an organization that we didn't believe in their business model. We didn't believe in their business model. Why would why would we sacrifice the very ethos of our brand and, and the mission for Hot Drop from the start uh, is to help the artist and, and the fan? So there's also a, a, a data end of things where we're really looking to understand how we can start to create more of these viral moments and what goes into these making these viral moments. And I think with the A&R industry and you know some folks are, are very adamant on data, 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 right? data is the future. Others are thinking, you know, I, I like going with my gut or, you know, I get recommendations from lawyers or friends or whatnot. You know, there's definitely that chasm in the space. But I think that the paralysis of analysis or paralysis by analysis uh, trope is definitely true here where, you know, labels, talent managers, you know, people who manage talent, they're forced to focus on so many different platforms, social media following, streams, that what is that really telling you, right? What's the actual narrative here? So for us, we want to show 
relevant fandom. We want to show what is this artist actually having success with a fan base? Who is that fan base? These are real people, not just streams and numbers on a screen. So given that there are so many platforms and the music discovery space, you know, it's crowded, but there are no platforms that are using their user base and incentivizing them to be promoters themselves. Personally, I'd much rather promoters following me than followers. Okay, last question, Max. What have you learned that you think is something that's important business-wise, or maybe is there some piece of advice that maybe somebody imparted to you? Yeah, I'd, I'd say there, there's certainly a tremendous amount of, of learning opportunities. I've been fortunate enough to you know, receive an experience over the past year or so, and, and even before that. I think given my age, I've really learned to you know, balance that it can certainly be an asset. Um, in, in certain regards with marketing and, and you know, more of a PR angle. Uh, but there's a lot of people that don't take you as seriously as you might like. And I think for me, I'm, I'm really trying to stay as humble as possible. Um, you know, let the traction and, and numbers speak for itself and, and really start to create an environment where, you know, younger entrepreneurs also feel really comfortable sharing their ideas. It might sound crazy, uh, but I don't think anything that is huge or, or, famous or well-recognized today um, was created by, you know, someone who had ideas that weren't considered crazy. Um, I'd also like to say that really valuing team and customers. And I think that in my position, it's, it's really been astonishing that now, you know, I have a team of full-time, you know, engineers and, and product people that, you know, look up to me and rely on me uh, as well as artists who say, you know, thank you for building this. It's, I'm really sick and tired of all the platforms that don't, they don't care at all, you know, what I like to believe. So even sending an email as a founder or CEO, no, no matter how big you are to a customer, to an artist, to your team, that really could, could make a difference in someone's life. And I think that um, really starting with, with impacting people's lives, maybe on an individual basis uh, can start to snowball and you can have greater impact. So I think really thinking that small isn't bad. Small and thinking small can be really good uh, to really nurture a relationship with people and and over time see how that can be mutually beneficial and and amplify your voice even even farther and, and, and louder. You can find out more about Hot Drop at hotdropapp.com. That's hotdropapp.com or you can download it from the Apple App Store. Thanks for listening and being in my inner circle. Remember, if you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. Remember that you can learn all about the latest in music, audio, and production news when you sign up for my newsletter at bobbyosinski.com. There, you'll also find out about openings for my latest online classes and special events. That's bobbyosinski.com. To listen to the episodes of Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle, go to bobbyosinski.com and select the podcast tab, or go to bobbyoinnercircle.com, or you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, Mixcloud, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, TuneIn Radio, Radio Public, and Podbean. At bobbyosinski.com and bobbyoinnercircle.com, you'll also find a sign-in form for my newsletter and for alerts for new podcasts. This is Bobby Osinski. I will see you next time. <laughs>